0: You ever been discouraged, gone through discouraging times, difficult times, hard times, and, and uh, you know, just thought, I'm discouraged. Life is hard. It's difficult, and often when we are living our lives and we're going through uh, the just the daily aspects of our life, We become discouraged. And this morning I want to talk to you about discouragement. I want to talk to you about how discouragement is a real problem. In a few minutes we will look at the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 10 through 12. If you would like to go ahead and find your way there this morning, Nehemiah 4 verses 10 through 12. John Lawrence in Down to Earth writes this, It was advertised that the devil was putting up for sale all of his tools. On that date, the tools were laid out. They had prices marked on them for public inspection, and and there were a lot of treacherous instruments, hatred, envy, jealousy, deceit, pride, lying, and so on. Laid apart from the rest of the devil's tools was a tool, but it was worn more than any of the other tools, and it was priced very high. What's the name of this tool, asked one of the customers. That, the devil replied, is discouragement. Why have you priced it so high? Because discouragement is more useful to me than all the others. I can pry open and get inside a person's heart with that one tool tool when I cannot get near them with any other tool and once I get inside I can make them do what I choose it's badly worn because I use it on almost everyone since so few people know it belongs to me the devil's price for discouragement was so high he never sold it it is still his primary tool and he still uses it on God's people today Many people realize that discouragement is a tool, but they don't realize that it's a tool of the devil. Life is full of discouragement. Even the most blessed people, even the most successful people, even the most spiritually mature people face discouragement and disappointment in their life. We get discouraged, but what will we do with that? Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, we catch a glimpse of that. Will you please stand with me out of respect for God's word this morning as we read Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. It says, In Judah, it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions, and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. I would venture to guess not a soul here this morning doesn't know what discouragement feels like. We can look back in our own lives And know it. And some of us, even this morning, are sitting here, discouraged people. Some of us hurting, some of us suffering, some of us wondering what's next, Lord. Speak, your servants here, speak to our hearts this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I've noticed that when we commit ourselves to being radically obedient to Jesus Christ, Satan takes notice, and he brings spiritual opposition and discouragement our way. This applies to leaders and churches alike. Whenever godly leaders make an attempt to rally God's people to advance God's kingdom, you better believe that the devil will bring discouragement. Satan does not care when churches meet together and they sing songs and they hear a sermon about how their life can be more successful. Satan doesn't care about that. Those kinds of churches are not a threat to his domain of darkness. However, when a pastor preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and convicts sinners of their sin in the presence of a holy God, and when he points them to the cross of Christ, look out because Satan will bring discouragement. When a pastor calls the flock to radical obedience and holy living in a wicked and perverse world, Satan will bring discouragement. Listen, the enemy is committed to opposing any kind of work that seeks to advance the kingdom of God and so far the work was going pretty good for the Jews it was obvious that God was blessing them great progress is being made and when God's hand is on the work it shows even though the work was progressing the builders are growing weary. And the enemy is on the prowl. And the enemies, in this case, are angry. They vehemently Oppose a rebuilding efforts. They're constantly threatening to make war against God's people. The builders became fearful and discouraged at the face of enemy opposition. And so, what I want to do this morning is I hope to bring out in these verses how Nehemiah leads the workers to overcome their discouragement and get back into the battle. So, first, let's see the cause of discouragement. The cause of discouragement. We sometimes hear preachers and Bible scholars and uh, theology people and, and the likes and teachers say that Christians should never be discouraged. They shouldn't be discouraged. You got, you got Jesus, there's no reason to be discouraged. We just sang a song, because he lives. You know, shouldn't we just always have joy and never face discouragement? In fact, I had a friend once call someone for some advice another pastor and they because they were in the midst of a discouraging situation and this pastor's response to him was man i'm too blessed to be stressed doesn't that sound good i'm just too blessed to be stressed it might give us little warm fuzzies inside oh i'm just so blessed but the fact is no one is immune to discouragement And i found using little cliches doesn't really help anyone. How'd you like to call me up? Pastor, I'm just really discouraged. Well, brother, I'm just too blessed to be stressed. That really helps you a lot, doesn't it? Throughout the years, God's people have faced discouragement just like everyone else. In fact, there are many Bible characters that have dealt with discouragement and depression. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers ever to live, dealt with deep, deep depression. Discouragement happens. Ellen Redpath wrote, All through history, men of God who ventured upon a service for God have been confronted with the very same problems that constantly vex us. Here is Nehemiah, unmistakably called of God, Commissioned by the king, having secured an army of helpers to work upon rebuilding the wall, who now finds himself faced with discouragement of every possible kind. Christian, it is not a sin to be discouraged. The sin is when we allow discouragement to keep us from doing what God has called us to do. And in these three verses from Nehemiah, we're going to see four problems that cause discouragement. They are fatigue, frustration, failure, and fear. So let's look at the first one that causes discouragement. The problem of fatigue. The problem of fatigue. So the first part of verse 10, we read, In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. Those who were bearing the burdens are the laborers who carried the materials to the masons and the carpenters. Those workers, these workers were were important as any other worker, just as important. And in the building project, they would labor long and hard each and every day to carry stones and lumber to the builders. Now, I don't know if you've ever been involved in building anything or not, but typically the gopher doesn't get much credit for the building. You just don't because you're you're the gopher. You're the guy running around carrying everything or, or got, got to go get this and get this and get this and get that, right? You don't get a whole lot of credit credit it's usually the carpenters or the or the the masons or whoever getting the credit for the building however without these laborers there would be no building these workers were vital to the work a good leader realizes that everyone is important to god's kingdom work when it comes to god's work there are no insignificant people every every person is significant everyone that knows Christ as Savior is saved to serve. Everybody, if if you know Christ as your Savior, you are saved to serve. Everyone has a part in God's work, and without these laborers, the work would come to a screeching halt. Look what it says about their strength. It says it is failing. Their strength is failing. Now, in the Hebrew, that word is keshal. And it means to totter or to waver through weakness of legs, to falter, to stumble. And so the idea is their legs are becoming so tired and so weak that they are beginning to give out under the load. I don't know if you've ever worked Uh, worked out a lot or anything like that but let me tell you sometimes when you're working out maybe you're doing some some squats or something like that and and you're doing as many as you can and eventually your legs get too tired to do anymore yeah you say I can't do anymore I like watching those funny workout videos because it just I laugh at strange things and and it's just funny to me when somebody's doing something and they can no longer bear the weight, and, and maybe they drop it and the bar rolls out some window or something like that. And, and, and then, then I laugh, and I don't know. But anyway, um, th- that's what they were like. They couldn't do the work anymore. That's what it's talking about. Let me be real with you fatigue is a formula for disaster. Whenever we're physically tired, we are ripe for the picking of the enemy. Physical weariness leads to emotional exhaustion. When, if you came to church this morning and you had to drag yourself in here because you stayed up till 4 a.m. or whatever, physical weariness will lead to emotional exhaustion. Why do you think it is that we snap at people so quickly when we don't have enough sleep you know like your like your kid does something small and you're biting their head off or or your spouse does something that's that's so minor and you didn't get enough sleep the night before and so you freak out over everything because physical weariness leads to emotional exhaustion and we see a great example of this in the scripture in the prophet Elijah here was a man that was greatly used by God. To defeat the prophets of Baal. In 1 Kings chapter 19. But wicked Jezebel heard about this event. Of Mount Carmel. And she's furious. And she threatens Elijah's life. And she sends a message to him. You have 24 hours to leave Jezreel or die. It says then. Then. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Elijah had just experienced an awesome victory on Mount Carmel. He had just prayed down rain for a nation that had been in the middle of a three-year drought as well. He was a man who was mighty in prayer and in power. In fact, after the rain began... The Bible tells us about him, and, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and gathered and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel in 1 Kings 18.46. The Bible tells us that, uh, that Elijah ran the 17 miles back to Jezreel. He had even outran the chariots and the horses of Ahab. He was a man that had just experienced this victory, and the power of the Lord was on him so obviously when he hears this threat by Jezebel he's going to have no fear right who's this wicked woman who does she think he is I have the power of God on my side wrong he hears of her threat and he takes off running for his life it says then he was afraid And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there, 1 Kings 19.3. And after he travels around uh, another 95 miles to Beersheba, Elijah, exhausted and worn out, the verse starts off with, then he was afraid. Why? Because he's no longer focused on God. He's focused on Jezebel. In the very next verse, we see Elijah, a man greatly used of God, go from mountaintop to the pit of despair. When our focus leaves God and we begin to focus on other things, this will happen. Look what comes next. 1 Kings 19.4, it says... But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah sits down and prays that God would kill him. That's pretty discouraged. He desires that he would just die. He had gone from being tired in God's work to being tired of God's work. And I've learned that often discouragers are often doubters and compromisers. And that is usually an indication of a heart problem. They lack faith in God's word and are primarily interested in only Themselves Look at Elijah a little bit more, just a a little peek more. 1 Kings 19.10, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah says, Lord, everybody's gone. I'm the only one that's left that even cares about you, God. Whenever people get to this point, they're looking to run from any responsibility and do less for God. I'm the only one left, Lord. Nobody else seeks after you. I'm the only one left who wants to serve you. You say, well, Pastor, how do you know that? Because I've been there. I've been right where he's at. I've been in that spot. Lord, I'm the only one in this church that that really wants to serve you. Looking to run from responsibility. They say they need a break. But it's not a break that they need. What they need is to be revived. Church, we have to pace ourselves. We're told in the book of Galatians, let us not grow weary Of doing good, for in due season we will reap. Why, if, or how, if we do not give up? This verse gives us a warning and a serious one at that. That word weary carries with it this idea of fatigue and exhaustion. It is a spiritual weariness, an exertion that leads to one losing heart and giving up. Oh Lord, I, I'm just done. I'm not going to go on any farther. This is precisely what had overcome Nehemiah's workers. We're working for the Lord, and uh, we don't know what to do. We must be aware of the defeat we face when we become fatigued in the work. When we get tired, we lose focus on what's important. Our focus shifts to the problems. We have to be careful that we don't grow weary in well-doing. We cannot grow weary in well-doing. Let's look at the second problem When it comes to discouragement. And that's the problem of frustration. Look at verse 10 again. In the middle it says this. There is too much rubble. The armies of Babylon had left this place in ruins. All kinds of of busted timbers and rock and mortar lying everywhere. And all of the rubble was in ruins the way. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on any kind of disaster relief trip or not, but but part of the issue is that there are all there's all kinds of rubble everywhere when you go in and you try to do cleanup work it was that way when I went to Louisiana right after Hurricane Katrina to do disaster relief. It was that way right here in Washington after the tornado. And, and let me tell you, it's frustrating when there's all this rubble in the way and you're trying to, trying to do stuff or move something and, and you're stepping over blocks and bricks and you're like, I'm going to fall down and break my neck at any moment. It can get incredibly frustrating. That's what it's like for these Jews. They couldn't keep their mind on the work because of the rubble. They lost sight of their goal. They're they're no longer focusing on the building. They're instead focused on the rubble. All this rubble's in the way. We must be careful losing sight of God and concentrating on our problems instead. Instead. You see, when we allow our circumstances to overwhelm us, we tend to exaggerate the problem. And we tend to, we tend to uh, make the problem seem even bigger than it really is, or we, or we tend to make our situation seem worse than it really is. That's exactly what the, the spies did, right, in in the promised land. Remember, Do you remember what they said? They said, and so we seemed like grasshoppers... In our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Yes the giants were bigger. By one and a half. Maybe two times. But they certainly were not so huge. That the people seemed like grasshoppers. That would mean that they would be like. 100 times their size. Whenever we lack faith in God. We will be discouraged. And lose sight of reality. Nothing of any lasting value can be built on rubble. Their focus is on the rubble. And nothing of any lasting value will ever be built on rubble. You can't lay walls on heaps of rubble. It doesn't work out very good. They have to be secured on a solid and strong foundation. And so before the walls can be put into place, the rubble has to be cleared. Listen, just like Nehemiah's men lost sight of their goal, we will do the same if our lives are filled with rubble. And so often, church, we want to act like rubble is outside the walls of the church. All those all those dirty, rotten sinners out there, that's that's all the rubble. That's the rubble. Riff Wrath, that's all the rubble. We we'll never be able to build any say anything successful with all that rubble out there. It's not where the rubble's at. The rubble's really in our own lives, isn't it? You see the rubble that keeps us from building today? It's not it's not this physical rubble, the rubble that keeps us from building today are the sins in our own lives, the sins like pride and anger and bitterness and doubt and evil desires and cold hearts and addictions and stubbornness and gossip and disobedience. And we could go on and on and on with the rubble that's in our own heart that keeps us from building their sinful traits that keep us from building God's kingdom. And we get so frustrated because all the rubble in our life and we lose focus and all we see is the rubble. And we say, "Well, I can't, uh, I can't do that because of this, and I can't get involved here because of that, and I can't, I can't do this in the church because I have this sin issue, or I can't, I can't help here because of this problem." And we come up with all kinds of ways where we're focused on the junk that's in our life, the rubble that's in our life, that we can't build the kingdom of God. And when we build our life on the rubble, It doesn't have a sound, solid foundation. And one day, everything will come crashing down. As followers of Christ, we must help one another clear away the rubble from our own lives so that we can build on the foundation of Scripture. And here's the thing. It's not easy. It's not easy to clear away the rubble. It's not easy to look into the life of a brother or sister in Christ and say, you got some. You got some rubble here, and it's not easy for you to say. As a follower of Christ, I need you, brother, sister in Christ, to look into my life and say, "You got some rubble here. Let's let's help clear it away so we can build on a firm foundation." But it is necessary if we are to salvage our lives. Third problem: the problem of failure look at the last part of verse 10 by ourselves by ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall their fatigue and frustration gave way to failure they threw their hands up in the air and finally conceded that they were not able to rebuild the wall Think of how fast things went downhill. Two chapters ago. They're excited about building. Nehemiah 2.18 And I told them of, of the hand of my God. That had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. And now... Two chapters later, we can't build anymore. What happened to cause them to give up? How'd they go from two chapters ago to, hey, we're fired up and ready to build to to now, we can't do this? What caused them to lose sight of God? It's actually pretty simple. In chapter 2, their eyes are on God. In chapter 4, their eyes are on the enemy. They've lost sight of the big picture. And they set themselves up for failure. And unfortunately, we live in a day and time where failure is accepted, right? People begin projects and they quit before it's finished. Or they make a commitment and they go back on their commitment and it seems like it's no big deal. It seems so few people today stick with their commitments people in Nehemiah's days had set out to build but ended up floundering doesn't it seem always easier to quit than to persevere doesn't it I mean honestly isn't it easier just to quit (laughs) than than to see something through when it gets hard If you've ever done anything that that in the midst of it, it's it's just a massive struggle, you know it's far easier just to go, I'm done. I'm not going to finish this. I mean, try building like a Lego thing for your kids, right? So I'm done. I'm not finishing this. I have no idea. I have no idea how my son builds these spaceships. I'm like, I have no clue how you did any of it because I can't do that kind of stuff. I don't have the patience for it, and I'm just—I'm done. I can't sit there and do that. Some of you guys do puzzles. No, I don't want to do puzzles. Why do you waste your time putting together a puzzle? I don't—I don't understand it. But hey, if that's what you like to do, more—I just quit. I'm done. I don't have time to do this. That's the day we live in. It's always easier. Sadly, when the going got tough, the workers became weary and they quit and they gave up. Aren't you glad that God doesn't forsake us? Even when we are unfaithful to him, our God doesn't forsake us. And in the midst of the troubling times, he enables us to do what he's called us to do. Proverbs 24.10 tells us that if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. A builder must stay the course and they must be committed to it. There will be many difficulties to deal with, but failure is not an option. Those who only have a small amount of strength Quit when the problems come their way because their strength is so small. However, the builder that stands strong will persevere and get something done for the Lord. Don't sit around and make excuses as to why you can't serve God. Instead, you submit to Him in complete surrender and trust in Him. The last problem I want to share with you This morning is the problem of fear. The problem of fear. The enemy struck fear into their hearts, as verses 11 and 12 make clear. Church, we must understand that the world will never be a friend of the true disciple of Jesus Christ. They believe the propaganda of the enemy. They believed the enemy was closing in and that they would be attacked at any moment. This kind of fear cripples faith. Notice the words in verse 11. And our enemies said. And our enemies said their work became hindered because their focus was on the threat of the enemy. They were Debilitated by fear and it devastated their faith long before Franklin Roosevelt said what have we to fear but fear itself Solomon said the fear of man lays a snare in Proverbs 29 25 those who fear man more than they fear God will end up in Satan's snare now I don't know if you know what a snare is but it's a trap Trappers will use a snare to capture their prey. And there are, of course, various types of snares. I like to watch these little survival shows, and they make little deadfall traps and little snares and all kinds of crazy stuff. But there's various types of, of snares. But the end goal is always the same, to capture the prey. An animal caught in a trap is really not a pretty sight because that animal's freedom has been taken and they know death is intimate. That is what fear does to man. Snares you. Kills your opportunity to accomplish something for God. Solomon goes on to say, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The prophet Isaiah said, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation. Isaiah 12.2 This is the key to victory. The point being that we must completely trust in the lord because when we do then we have no need to fear man the psalmist said in in psalm 56 3 and 4 when i am afraid i put my trust in you in god whose word i praise in god i trust i shall not be afraid what can flesh do to me because david put his trust in god he didn't fear man This truth of not fearing is so vital in Scripture that it is is a phrase that's found nearly 63 times. I like what Oswald Chambers said when he said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else, whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. There's a contrast between fear and faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Where one is, the other cannot exist. Faith does not operate where there is fear, and fear cannot operate where there is faith. God's word says in First Peter 3, 14 and 15, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. When the enemy comes against you, have no fear. God's people have consistently faced enemy Opposition, regardless of persecution, Peter says, you will be blessed. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, Matthew five eleven and 12. We can anticipate that and expect trouble from the Sandballots and the Tobias and the Geshems of this world, which which we, why the Bible tells us that it is through much tribulation that we will enter the kingdom of God. Paul exhorts Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Second 2 Timothy 2.3 The enemy will attack, and we must be ready. And part of the reason we must be ready is because oftentimes it's a sneak attack. And that's precisely what the enemy is doing. He's trying to catch these Jews off guard. And we have to be alert as the enemy seeks to destroy us when we are not paying attention and when we let our guard down. Make no mistake about it. The enemy is not just seeking to wound you, but to destroy you. Verse 11 does not say, We will come among them and wound them. It says, We will come among them and kill them. The enemy hates God, he wants to see anything of God brought to destruction. The world thinks it's doing God a favor when it kills a Christian. <clears throat> John 16:2 says they will put you out of the synagogues indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God The enemy does this for one reason, and that is because the enemy wants to stop the work of God. Look again in verse 11. It says, and stop the work. They will do anything in their power to keep the work of God from progressing. They will play dirty so that their wicked agenda gets advanced. And any time that we seek to disrupt the devil's diabolical Plan, we will be opposed by the wicked forces of this world, whether it's spiritual or political. John Newton penned that beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, where we sing, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Trusting in God will help us stay the course. Christian, we don't throw caution to the wind. But we trust God more than we fear man. I close with this. Former heavyweight boxer James Quick Tillis is a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought out of Chicago in the early 1980s. He still remembers his first day in the Windy City after arrival from Tulsa. I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago and I stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down and I looked up at the tower and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. And when I looked down, the suitcases were gone. Pretty discouraging. Mark Twain said, what is joy without sorrow? What is success without failure? What is a win without a loss? What is health without illness? You have to experience each if you are to appreciate the other. There is always going to be suffering. It's how you look at your suffering, how you deal with it, that will define you. Church discouragement is a real problem. And if you are a believer, you will go through times of discouragement. And you will have times when the enemy's attacks seem to overwhelm you. And you may even have times that you feel just like Elijah. Lord, just kill me. I don't want to go on. It's not a sin to be discouraged. However, I'm hoping that this message is pointing out the cause of discouragement so that we know the warning signs when they come, fatigue. When we grow weary and worn out and we begin to lose focus on what's important, the enemy will try to wear you down. We must battle fatigue. We must pace ourselves and get proper rest so that we do not grow weary in doing good. Some of you here today, you may be weary and worn out, perhaps even this morning. And you need to cry out to God, not God, rescue me from this situation, but God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Oh, I pray that you won't grow weary in doing good, church. Frustration. The enemy will try to get you to focus on the problem without ever finding a solution. Listen, anyone can focus on the problem. It's really not that hard to do. I hear people focusing on problems all the time. I know you may find that hard that a pastor would hear such things. But I hear that a lot. It's not that hard. We need people to have solutions. If you're focused on the problem, you will quickly become frustrated. Refuse to be overwhelmed by your circumstances and lose sight of God. Trust in Him. Help one another. Clear the rubble from your lives. Failure. Listen, the minute you take your eyes off the Lord, you are destined for failure. Stay the course because God will not forsake you, but he will enable you to do his will and accomplish his purpose. Fear, remember fear is the opposite of faith. Refuse to believe the lies of Satan. You must put your trust in the Lord and God more than you fear man. Satan is on a leash. He can only go as far as God lets him go. And so when the enemy comes against you, you have no need to fear. We must draw on the Lord's strength, endurance, perseverance, and steadfastness. They all come from Him. It's only through a strong commitment to Him and by His power that you will ever be able to defeat discouragement. And when discouragement strikes your heart, don't run away. But press on. Don't give in to feelings of despondency and depression and disappointment. If we give in to discouragement, it will only lead you to defeat and unfinished tasks and incomplete projects. Instead, turn to the Lord and draw from His strength and ask Him to sustain you and deliver you from the spirit of darkness and despair. And then get up and brush yourself off. And get back to work. Seeing progress always encourages the human heart. Aren't you encouraged when you see someone come to know the Lord? Aren't you encouraged when somebody says, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ? Aren't you encouraged when we baptize someone on Sunday morning? Isn't that encouraging? We are always encouraged by progress. When we see fruit, we are inspired to do more. That is why the basic answer to discouragement is get busy and work harder for the Lord. Don't just sit back and think things are going to get better. Because when you wallow in self-pity and despair and do absolutely nothing, nothing things will not get better what about you you discouraged this morning because of fatigue frustration failure or fear if so what are you going to do about it don't just sit there and hope it gets better but give it to the lord And get busy building his kingdom. My prayer for you today is that we will know how to deal with discouragement when it comes our way. Let's close with prayer.